0: I'm Abigail Meller and welcome back to Generation Invincible, a podcast on public health, healthcare policy, and social justice issues by a millennial for millennials and anyone else that cares about the health problems facing our nation. As much as I know that everyone loves listening to the smooth sounds of my voice every week, we're mixing it up again today with another interview. You're about to hear me speak with Dr. Paula Yoon, who is the Director of Health Informatics and Surveillance at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. She's honestly one of the most interesting people I've ever met. She started working out in the Peace Corps in Kenya before deciding to get her PhD in public health from freaking Johns Hopkins. She worked at the World Health Organization and the UN International Labor Office in Geneva, Switzerland, before moving on to the CDC, where she worked on heart disease and stroke prevention, led the National Birth Defects Prevention Study, and other projects involving family medical histories, health disparities, and epidemiology. I'm so excited to have Dr. Yoon on the show, and I think you guys are gonna find this one super interesting. I mean, she's the Director of Health Informatics and Surveillance at the CDC. Don't know what that is? Well, she's here to tell you all about it. I've got Dr. Yoon on the line now. Hi, Paula, welcome to Generation Invincible.
1: Hi, Abby. It's great to be
0: here. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today about you and your work at the CDC. Sure. Um, So I'd like to start by just asking you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your professional history, as well as what originally inspired you, to your desire to uh, get your Ph.D. in public health.
1: Okay. Well, um, I was one of those kids that was always very interested in science, Um, When I did my undergrad, I studied biology, and I assumed I would be going to medical school. I think a lot of people who are bio majors assume that. But during the course of my college years, I also became very interested in international health, so I decided to join the Peace Corps first. So I spent two years uh, in Kenya teaching math and science in a very rural area, and it was really during that time that I became interested in public health. I didn't know it was called public health at that time, but I really um, tuned in to what I was seeing around me. The poverty, the poor education, the lack of basic services like sanitation and healthcare, and that really sparked my interest in public health. So when I came back from Kenya, um, I worked for a little bit um, in Boston with the Peace Corps office there recruiting uh, new volunteers, and then I went to school to study public health and epidemiology. So I ended up getting my master's and my doctorate at Johns Hopkins um, and made my way to CDC, and I've been here since.
0: Wow, that's so amazing. I actually feel like, even though our our background stories are very different, we sort of were inspired by similar things to go into public health because I also didn't know what it was when I started college. And then, as you know, I went to the University of Georgia, and the campus there is very interesting because it's a weird balance between the campus and then the very um impoverished community that's outside of the campus, but still within it the Athens, same absolutely. yeah. yeah. So that was sort of something similar that I went through. Uh, So currently your work focuses on national health surveillance programs and information system development for data collection. Can you explain in layman's terms what this work entails?
1: Sure. Disease surveillance, as you know from your um, training, is the foundational science of public health. Public health practice is really about identifying diseases, injuries, and other conditions that negatively impact people's lives and then figuring out ways to control and prevent those conditions. So you need to know who's being affected, where, when, how, all the critical questions. And it's really surveillance data that's used to answer those questions and it allows public health to make good decisions about how to intervene. So it's really critical to have good disease data. In my division, we operate and manage two national surveillance programs. Um, One is a system that captures data on primarily infectious diseases that are occurring uh, in state and local health departments. So the data might include things like measles that are associated with an outbreak in a theme park, for example, or cases of listeriosis associated with contaminated uh, cantaloupes, or even a cluster of rabies that occurs in national parks. There are about a hundred or so um, infectious diseases, a few non-infectious diseases that are reported to states, or I'm sorry, that are reported to CDC from state and local health departments. And then the second system that we manage is very different. It's a syndromic surveillance system. And here we get data from emergency department visits in hospital. And these data are used to look at patterns of illness. So where is the flu virus starting to sweep through the country this year? Or what parts of the country are experiencing increases in opioid overdoses, for example? Or when there's a heat wave, we can use this data to look for increases in heat-related morbidity. So two very different systems, but both are are national systems, and um, we collect the data and provision it to the programs at CDC who use the data for public health practice.
0: So definitely very data heavy, but also sort of focusing on the behavior side. So it's really sort of what public health is all about. Absolutely.
1: Using data for good decision making. Yes. And then then the other um, question you asked me was about the information system. So this is really um, a different aspect of public health. We have a software development shop here, and we develop software systems that are used to help public health programs exchange data among themselves and with each other. So, these uh, might include the systems that we use to receive data from states uh, and bring into CDC. There are also systems that are used to exchange information about laboratory tests. So, for example, now when state and local health departments are doing tests on people who potentially have Zika virus infection, that information is sent to CDC. And then we also build a software called EpiInfo, which you may have heard of. It's a software that's used for outbreak investigations. Mm -hmm. So when there's suspected cases of food outbreaks um, or other types of um, uh, public health events that are occurring, the software is used to go out and do surveys of people and collect data the Info was actually used in West Africa for the Ebola outbreak, and I was fortunate to participate in that response, and I spent the month of uh, January in 2015 in Sierra Leone uh, working on the uh, Ebola outbreak.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for doing such important work. Well, it's very interesting work as well. Yes, it is. Um, I mean, your work really has had a variety of focuses over the years. You worked. You said you worked as a Peace Corps core volunteer in Kenya, and then you worked with the World Health Organizations, then with several programs at the CDC, including birth defects, family medical histories for public health, heart disease and stroke prevention, and then finally, your current position, which involves many infectious disease surveillance. Um, How have your passions in public health changed over the years, from starting with your time in school and then throughout the different points in your career? And how has that driven your professional aspirations?
1: Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, my passion for public health was really sparked by my time in Kenya as a Peace Corps volunteer. And that experience really gave me a feel for what public health and population health really means. I saw how prevention can have an impact on people's lives. Um, and as public health professionals, we would, you know, as you know, would rather prevent diseases and injury in the in the first place than really try to control it. And that's one of the things that's very challenging about public health, because great public health work is not very visible. It's the absence of disease, injuries, and outbreaks in the community. So that's a really, um, you know, hard message to get across to people about why public health is really important, because when good public health happens it's what people
0: don't see. I definitely agree. I mean, my degree is technically in health promotion and behavior. And when uh-huh. I, and most people, when I say that to them, they don't know what I'm talking about. And then right. I say public health and they're like, Oh yeah, I kind of understand that. But then I, you know, I feel like they don't really understand what public health really is. Right. Um, so how have you transitioned between so many different health subjects? Like What made you want to cast your net out so wide and study so many different things?
1: Well, I think there are a couple of different ways to create a career in public health. Um, As you probably know, there are many people who work at CDC who are the world experts in a particular disease. I'm not an expert in any particular disease. I'm an epidemiologist, and I consider myself a generalist. What I like to do is to apply epi methods to solve different public health problems. So, as you've noted, I've been very fortunate um, to have worked in a number of different health topics um, here at CDC. But in all cases, the work I did was pretty similar. So, building surveillance systems, designing epi studies, analyzing data to understand disease patterns, and, and so on. Um, and then in recent years, I've also been learning a lot about technology. As, as I talked about, we build information systems in my division. And that was really a steep learning curve for me because I don't have a, a technology background. But um, but I find it really interesting, and and it's a really great job. And I'm I learn things every day, which I think is you know really important as you go through your career.
0: Yeah, I think that that is certainly an ideal situation, at least for me, as someone who's looking for entry level jobs that I want. Yeah. I just want to learn as much as I can as quickly as I can. Um, But as a woman in my early 20s, I I feel a lot of uncertainty about the career path that I'm choosing, even though I feel I have such a strong passion for public health and policy. Did you ever have that like aha moment where you realized that you were going in the right direction after you had already started your career?
1: Well, um, you know, I'm sure there are people who plan out their careers and they follow a fairly straight path, I would say my career progression was more about leaping at opportunities and, and taking on new challenges. You know, when you take on a new project or a task that's really outside your comfort zone, it requires you to be innovative and reach out to others who might be able to help or offer inset, uh, insight. So I think that's really what's important. As, also, as you progress through your career, it's important that you have self-awareness about your strengths and interests. And for me, I realized that I liked being a generalist scientist and applying, you know, methods to solve different problems. I also realized that I was pretty good at implementing new ideas and seeing a project through to completion. And I seemed to also have a knack for management and leadership because I progressed through different leadership positions um, and became the leader of more complex programs at CDC. I wouldn't say I had an aha moment about my career, but I, I do look back on, on what I've done and I feel satisfied that I did my best and I made a contribution to public health in my own small way. So for me, the bottom line was really as opportunities are presented to you, grab them, go with it and see where they lead.
0: That is amazing advice. I, I think that you are sort of like the poster child or poster woman for sort of realizing something about what you're interested in and then testing it out and then seeing every opportunity come and just going for it and making a beautiful and very successful might I add career out of um out of doing that
1: well thank you Abby I, I don't like I said I don't think there's any one right way but if you take advantage of the opportunities that come come your way and learn something from it it will take you to the next opportunity yeah.
0: And hopefully I'll get there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what advice can you give to my listeners, many of whom are millennials in either undergrad, grad school, or entry-level positions about reaching the level of success that you've achieved without burning out?
1: Hmm, okay. So as I said, I think it's important to, you know, seize oppor- opportunities and, Take different paths as they come your way, um, and you need to be open to learning new things. And success, um, I, I would say, is not really about high, how high you go in an organization. It's more about having meaningful work and feeling that you're making a difference regardless of you know where you sit in the organization. Burnout is definitely an issue. Um, I think especially today when communication and the exchange of information is so fast. I mean, people expect you to respond to their emails immediately. There's an expectation that, you know, the work we do, there's a very short turnaround, and it seems like you work faster and faster to get things done, and the work just keeps piling up and never ends. So there's definitely a potential for burnout. But from what I've observed about millennials and from what I've learned from my own children who are both uh, millennials, I think that the generation already seems to have a good understanding about the importance of the work-life balance. Um, You know, again, there's no perfect balance that suits everybody. I, I know people I work with who are very passionate about their work. They work all the time, and it makes them very happy. I also know people who work really hard when they're here, but take every advantage of their time off to travel, to spend you know time with their family, what have you. So it really just depends on on the person. There's no you know perfect way. I don't think when you start out uh, in a new career, I, I do think that it's very important starting out that you work hard and show initiative. Um, because it's really people who show initiative that are offered opportunities to do more and to do different things. So right. um, work life balance, definitely important, but it's also important to um, show initiative.
0: That's perfect advice. I mean, I feel like I've gotten you know maybe pieces of that along the way, but nothing so direct about you know about how how to enter the enter the career that I want to have. Right. Um, so what would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned from all of your experiences, both professional and personal?
1: Um, and I mean, not to repeat it too much, but I think, you know, just grab opportunities as they come along and see where they lead. There's no one right way to build a career. Um, every experience or challenge has gives you an opportunity to grow and learn new skills um, joining the Peace Corps, as, as I mentioned earlier, for me was my first big opportunity to take a risk, and re- really I never looked back. It uh, it kind of changed where I was heading. I, I ended up going to grad school and eventually came to CDC. Um, I, when I first came to CDC, I was in the Epidemic Intelligence Service Program here, which is a really neat two-year program where you learn applied epidemiology. So you come into the program with a background, either from grad school or med school or what have you, and then you learn how to really apply those skills to solving public health problems. So one thing led to another, and um, I'm just really happy to be where I am now.
0: I definitely feel like a lot of people end up saying that, that they start out in one thing, and then all of a sudden they've gotten to where they're going, and it just sort of all leads into into one another.
1: Yeah, Exactly. So, build a career before you know it.
0: Yeah, and I'm uh, hopefully I'll get there. You will get there. (laughs) Are there any last comments that you would like to add, including resources that my listeners can check out for more information?
1: Well, I'll just add that I think it's really encouraging that I see so many young people that are now flocking to the field of public health. So many more universities now, as you know, offer undergrad programs in public health, and the field is really growing and becoming more diverse. Um, and people coming into the public health field are coming in with lots of different skills. It's not just the the epidemiologists and the physicians and the statisticians anymore. We have computer scientists and communication experts, psychologists, education specialists, and and many, many more. So I think I think it's really encouraging um, to see that. I, also, I've recently learned that the National Park Service has um, epidemiologists who, Investigate outbra- outbreaks of vector borne diseases in the parks or food borne outbreaks associated with the cafeterias or other health threats. And I thought that was really interesting. I, I, I like the thought of that, and I'm thinking that might be the perfect job for me after I retire from CDC to combine my, my love of the national parks and camping and hiking with uh, some of my Epi skills. So lots of interesting jobs out there. You just have to, to look for them. In terms of resources, um, You know, the the CDC website has a lot of more information about the surveillance systems I described. Um, That would be one place to learn more. There are also lots of job postings on USA Jobs. If people are looking for jobs at CDC or other federal agencies, it's all through one system called uh, usajobs.gov. So that would be another place uh, to look for resources. I'd be happy to talk to people, um, you know, about careers or other opportunities at CDC as well. So, lots, lots out there, and I'm sure even at uh, UGA and the other universities that have public health programs, they have many resources as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely very familiar with USA Jobs. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, that's all I have for you today. I just want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to be on my show. I, I mean, everything that you said today has been so interesting and I think that my listeners are going to agree.
1: Great. I really enjoyed it, Abby, and would uh, love to talk again, maybe about another
0: topic. Yeah, hopefully.
1: Thanks, Abby.
0: All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. To submit feedback about Generation Invincible, ask questions, Make suggestions for future episodes, or if you just want someone to listen to what you have to say, email generationinvincible at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow Generation Invincible on Tumblr. Until next time, in the words of Paul Farmer, an American anthropologist and physician, you can't have public health without a public health system. We just don't want to be part of a mindless competition for resources. We want to build back capacity in the system.